Right. Um, so if you do not know me, I'm hoping most of you do. Um, my name is Zach Miley. I've been here, uh, like Mike said, for four years. Um, my in-laws are the Stallers, so if you don't know me, you probably know them. Um, they do the deaf ministry, and I'm married to Bethany, their daughter. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit about me. Um, we're going to go to Luke chapter 16. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, um, I do have to warn you uh, before I start. Um, this is a really big pulpit, first of all. <laughs> or I'm just a really small man, I guess. Um, I, so most of the ministry that I have at Grace is with uh, the kids. I have probably most of your kids here um, at some point in time during a Sunday or a Wednesday. Um, so I do feel obligated to warn you that if I see you poking your neighbor or you're talking to your neighbor, I may have to call you out and I may have to talk to you after up front. Um, I just want to let you know that. Um, so we're going to go to Luke chapter... Luke chapter 16. Um, I'm going to pray quick before we go. Hopefully, um, it seems like every time I do something in public, um, I have issues with technology. So I'm really hoping I have my sermon in three different forms today. So I'm really hoping I don't have any issues. Um, so I'm going to pray quick uh, before we get started. Uh, do just thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for um, just the testimony that we had um, of the Dodds um, this evening. I thank you so much for the, the opportunity we had to partake in the Lord's Supper this evening, the blessing, um, and the reminder that that was uh, for each of us, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us when we did not deserve it, and I pray that that would impact us on a daily basis, and that we would be changed daily because of that, um, that that truth would allow us to grow closer to you and allow us to uh, have a life that would lead others towards you. Um, I thank you so much for the opportunity for um, me to teach tonight. I pray that the words I say would be your words and not mine, and you'd just give uh, clarity of thought and clarity of speech uh, this evening. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to go to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read the story. Uh, we're going to go through the first couple verses here, so you can just follow along as I read it. Um, and a little background before we get into it, um, right before Luke chapter 16, uh, it's Jesus speaking, and he's talking to the Pharisees right before this, and he's telling um, a couple different stories. He tells the story of the lost sheep, and he tells the story of the prodigal son, and then he also tells the story of the lost coin. Um, in Luke chapter 16, um, he's now talking to his disciples, so with that context in mind, the passage that's to follow is directed directly to us. Whereas before it may have been to the unsaved people, right now he's speaking to his followers, which are all of us. So, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Um, now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said unto him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write down eighty. 
And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth, of unrighteousness, so that way when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little is faithful also in much, and he who is faith unrighteous in very little things is also unrighteous in much also. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So the way typically when Christ is speaking, he tells a story in, in, the, in the Gospels, and then he gives a little bit of explanation. So the first beginning uh, eight verses here are the story, or seven verses are the story, and then he goes into the explanation. The story is pretty, pretty simple to understand. Um, there's a guy who is in charge of another man's wealth. He doesn't handle it correctly. The boss finds out. He basically says, you're fired because you didn't handle my money correctly. The guy goes, oh, no, what do I do? I'm, I, I don't want to go work because I, I don't, I'm not strong enough to go dig, and I'm, I'm too proud to go beg. So what am I going to do? I don't have a job anymore. I need to pay my bills. So he goes, I know what I'm going to do. He goes out, and he finds all the people who owed his master money, and he goes up to every single one of them, and he walks up and he says, how much do you owe? And they, they gave him a number, and then quickly he says, write down a percentage of that, and then he, then he ends up doing that with all, all the people, and then he gives it back to his, 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 uh, his master, finds out, and his master goes, wow, you were, a, you were wise for doing that. And then Christ, at the end of the story, basically says, you disciples of mine, be like that guy. Now, from a cursory glance at this passage, it might seem a little weird that Jesus would say that, because this guy is obviously not doing what is correct. Not only is he not handling and doing his job correctly, but then once he messes up his job, he then goes and essentially steals from his master because these people owed a certain amount to his master, and he allows them to get away with only giving back a portion of what they owed. And then his master, after finding out this, says, good job, basically. And then God says, you should be like that. How should I be like that? How should a Christian be like that in our life? Um, if you go down to verse uh, 8, verse number 8, he says, And the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So according to one author, when I was reading this, according to one author, um, he says, The children of this world, men and women whose ends and aims are bounded by the horizon of this world, who only live for this life, how much more painstaking and skillful are they in their working for the perishable things of this world than the children of light or the saved people in their noble toiling after the things of the life to come? The former, the unsaved, appear even more in earnest for their search after what they desire than do the latter, the saved people. For some reason, the shrewdness exhibited by this unrighteous manager is something that Christians should mirror. So the proposition that I have, the takeaway, the, 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 the sentence that you need to get if you're not going to get anything else, 
is essentially believers should be spiritually shrewd, because this is about being shrewd, but we're supposed to be spiritually shrewd instead of uh, shrewd in the world, okay, by being eternally focused, okay? Believers are supposed to be spiritually shrewd by being eternally focused. Now, what does that mean? Now, I have three different points, and they're based on the different applications that Christ comes with in verses 9 and following. So the first point is in verse 9, and it essentially tells us that believers who are spiritually shrewd use their resources for eternal purposes. All right, let's go back to verse number 9. And Christ says, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of wealth of the unrighteous, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. We are, as believers, supposed to use the resources that we have, whether it be our finances, which when you look at this passage, obviously it talks about finances, but I would argue that our resources are more than just our finances. They could be our influence in the community. They could be our time. They could be our possessions. They could be our finances, obviously, um, our relationships, whatever they may be. We have a lot of different things that we can use. Um, we should use those things to make friends for eternal purposes. This is not the social gospel. The social gospel would tell you, you can go out into the world and you can, you can use your money, you can use your time, you can use your resources, and you can give them to people to do a good thing, and that's a good thing, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but the end goal for that ought to be to tell people about Jesus. And we know that. We, I think all of us would say that, but there's some people out there that wouldn't say that. They would say that you're just supposed to do that just to do that, to be a good person. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is not saying just go and make friends, okay? This passage is saying we're to go out and tell people essentially about Jesus. We're supposed to build relationships for the purpose of telling them about Jesus. We're supposed to disciple, okay? We're supposed to have this discipleship manual, uh, this mind of discipleship, okay? Um, we should use the resources that God has given us to build a relationship with others because that's what God has given us the resources to do. We don't have the things that we have by our own means. We understand that the things that I have are because God has blessed me with them. And the things that I have, really, they're not even mine because the things that I have are all temporal. The things that I have are given to me by God. The things that I have are God's. So the things that I have should be used into the purpose that God would want them to be used. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very clear and, and easy understanding of succession of events, but so often we get distracted because there's a lot of things in this life that are easily distracting. We have bills, we get sick, um, we have sporting events, we, you know, we, we, we need to do things. There's, we, we have jobs, we have family. There's things that happen that are important in this life, and they distract us from the things that truly matter. That's why my premise is we need to be spiritually shrewd by being eternally focused, okay? We need to have a mindset that is eternally pointed to Christ and to what's to come. So as we're looking at this, we need to have the understanding and the, 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 the drive of urgency. And why do I say that? When we look at the passage here, when we look at the, uh, the story when the, ma when the master tells this man, he says, look, you're, you're fired, basically. The guy doesn't go, oh, oh, well, <laughs> boo-hoo, I'm going to go sit on a curb and I'm going to go mope, right? What does he do? Immediately, he's like, what am I going to do? And he comes up with a plan, 
and he goes out, he gets all the people. He doesn't just get one or two. It says he gets all the people that, his master, that owed his master money. He grabs all of them, and then he goes and tells them. And when you look at the passage, he has this urgency. Um, verse number six, he says, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. I don't want to mess around. My master might come. He might figure out what I'm doing, and I know I shouldn't be doing this. Come on, hurry up. Okay, you're gone. Next person, come up. We're going to get this over with. I want to get all of you done. Okay? He has an urgency because he understood that his master was coming again. And he understood he, he wasn't focusing on today. He was focusing on tomorrow. He was focusing on what's going to happen. I just lost my job today, but I need to worry about what's, what, I'm going to, what am I going to do next week? What am I going to do in a year from now? I don't have a job anymore. He was, he was focused on the future. In our life, we need to be focused on the future. We can't be worried about what's going on today. We need to be focused on the future. And that's not from a temporal standpoint. That's from an eternal standpoint. Because we understand that really what happens tomorrow has no consequence to my life. Unless it's eternal. The things that I do in my life need to have eternal purposes. They need to have eternal ramifications or else they're really not going to matter. So our, next, our first point is we need to use our resources for eternal purposes. Our second point, and that was verse 9, our second point in verses 10 through 12, and we're going to see how it really works into verse 9 very, very well. It's interesting how God does that. Um, believers who are spiritually shrewd are faithful stewards of temporal things God has given them so they can be faithful stewards of eternal things. All right, so let's go down to verses 10 through 12. We're going to read that again. He who is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in very much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So verse 10 is essentially just a proverb um, that then is, is explained in verses 11 and 12. So when we look at 11 and 12, um, we see, well, really the whole thing. We see that believers are supposed to be good, good stewards of their finances. Obviously, this is a passage about money, first and foremost, as we're looking at it. Um, but like I said in the first point, I think that our, our resources, and that's why I'm saying resources instead of money, I think we should be good stewards of the things that God has given us. So our time, our relationships, our money, our resources, our, our, our possessions, our family members, whatever it may be. Um, we need to be good resources of that. We need to be good stewards of that, so that way we can use them um, for eternal purposes. Um, now, if you go back to my point, let's see if I can go back to it. I said, um, we need to be faithful stewards of temporal things so we can be faithful stewards of eternal things. Now, just a practical, very pragmatic application here is if I'm not a faithful steward of my temporal possessions, of my money, of my resources, of my relationship, if I'm not keeping good relationships in the community, uh, whatever it may be, I'm not going to have those resources to use them for point number one. And point number one was we need to be faithful stewards to make friends for eternity. If I don't have any resources, I can't use my resources to make friends. Does that make sense? So, from a practical standpoint, God wants us to be faithful with our money, faithful with our resources, so that way we can do the eternal things. So while my focus is on the eternal, while my focus is on making friends for the future, right, for the eternal things that actually matter, 
I need to be focused on the here and now things too. Because if I'm not taking care of the things that are right now, I'm not going to have them, okay? If I'm not paying my bills, I'm, I'm going to lose my house, and I'm not going to be able to use my house as a way to minister to missionaries when they come into town as a place for them to stay. If I'm not, if I'm not taking care of my, my, my house, just in general, I'm not going to be able to be a good testimony to my neighbors because they're going to look at my house and go, what a slum, that person is a bum. And then I'm not going to have a good testimony with them because they're not going to want to talk to me because I don't even take care of my house. And there's a lot of other practical things. So when we're looking at this, I, I find it really, really interesting how Christ wants us to be eternally focused, which is clear, and he doesn't want us to get distracted by the temporal things, which is so easy to do. But then he says, make sure you're paying, you're paying attention, you're really focusing on the temporal things, because if you're not doing that, you're not going to be able to use them for the eternal things. God really allows everything to kind of work together here. Um, Martin Luther had a really cool quote um, that kind of ties into this. Uh, he said, therefore, we must all use these things upon the earth in no other way than a guest who travels through the land and comes to a hotel where he must lodge overnight. He takes only food and lodging from the host, and he says not that the property of the host belongs to him. Just so should we treat our temporal possessions, as if they're not ours, and enjoy them only so much as we need to nourish the body and then help our neighbors with the balance. Thus the, the, thus the life of the Christian is only a lodging for the night, since we have no continuing city, but we must journey on to heaven where the Father is. So how are we in the management of our possessions? Are we faithful stewards of the things that we've been entrusted? Faithfulness is not qualified by the amount that we have, but rather by the character of the steward. A person can be a steward of a million dollars, and there can be a, a person who is a steward of ten dollars. And we can understand from a, from, a, from a purely human standpoint that the person who is a steward of the ten dollars could be a better steward of that money than the person who is a steward of a million dollars because of his character. The things that we are a steward of have so much in, more intrinsic value than what, what they mean to an unsaved person because of their use for eternal things. The money that I have, the time that I have, the relationship that I have, while important from a temporal standpoint, are so much more important from an eternal standpoint. And that really puts an emphasis on why I need to continue building those relationships, continue being a wise steward of the things that God has given me. Because if, I don't, if I'm not doing that, I'm not going to have the opportunities that I would had I, had I kept them. Had the Dodds not been a good steward of the finances that they had, they may not have been able to take a missionary journey to uh, Germany this, this summer and been, and been the blessing that they were to these missionaries. And, and that's kind of a silly thing to think about, but that's because they were good stewards of the temporal things. And they had an eternal mind. They, they had planned on doing this to be a, mission, to be a blessing to these people. Um, okay, so oh, probably should hurry up. <laughs> Point number three. Believers who are spiritually shrewd are fully committed to God alone. Believers who are spiritually shrewd are fully committed to God alone. Uh, verse number 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, the passage here, the verse here, it does not give you like a, like a, uh, like a gray option. 
It's, it, it's very black and white. It says you cannot do this. It's, it's not like, hey, you might be able to do it. <laughs> Sometimes you can do it. it you can't do it. You can, it's either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Now, I love how God ends this passage with this. I love it because for me, my finances are something that I struggle with because just from a human standpoint, I think we all desire to have a comfortable life. We see the things that can be attained. We see the lifestyle that we can have. And it's not wrong to have a certain lifestyle if you've been blessed with finances. It's not wrong to have finances. It's not wrong to live in a nice house. It's not wrong to not drive a nice car. It's not wrong to work a job that pays you a decent amount of money. That's not, that's not a wrong thing. But the American understanding, I think, really, and it's very American, is I want more, I want more, I want more. I'm not, I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied with what I have. And so often, even as a Christian, I think we can get distracted by my desire to have a comfortable life, to provide for my wife, to provide for our kids, that we start to unknowingly, unwillingly, unwantingly serve money by our, by our, our desire to keep in getting more and allowing that to affect our decisions. And when we're doing that, we're not serving God. It's not like I can serve God and money. The Bible here tells me that I can't do both. I'm either serving the one and I'm serving the other. And I love the positioning of this because this is right after God saying, make sure you're being a good steward of the finances you have. Make sure you're focusing on your finances so you can use them for eternal purposes. But don't worship them. You can still be a good steward of the things that you've been given, but have an eternal focus. You can still be focused on the things that actually matter, but still be a good steward of the things that are temporal. Those two things are not in juxtaposition. They do work together. And for me, I, I struggle with that. Just, just personally, I struggle with that because, because of my desire to just have a comfortable life. And I, and I tell myself often, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have money just for the sake of having money. You know, I, I, would, I would love, really, honestly, I would love to have money so I can bless other people. I really would. But still, am I desiring to have money for the status of it? Sometimes I feel like I am. And that right there is a, is a desire to worship money. It really is. And if I'm doing that, I'm not worshiping God the way he ought to be, be worshipped. So in my focus of money, I need to be focused on God premierly, primarily. Um, if you can turn quickly to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, this passage really kind of puts in focus um, our view of money and, and when we don't have money or what we can do when we don't have money. Um, this, is, this is obviously Paul uh, speaking. He says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied, when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these things, we shall be content. But those of you who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sins and of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. 
but flee from these things. But flee from these things. We ought not to be driven by a desire for money. We ought not to be driven by a desire of status in the community. We ought not to be driven by a desire to have people looking at us and saying, wow, that person's a really great person. But we ought to have a testimony in the community where people look at us and they go, wow, that person is a person who, who is a great worker, who is a great, who is a great family member, who is a great neighbor. And then we should use those opportunities to reach them for the gospel, reach them for the eternal purposes. I think of all the, it just seems like really, really often, just in closing, it just seems really, really often in the, in the uh, lately in the news, there's been, there's been famous people who have committed suicide. And I look at their life, and I look at my life, <laughs> And I say, wow, I make this much amount of money, and they make this much amount of money. They live here. They go on vacations here. They seem to have everything they want. Everybody likes them. Why would they do such a thing? And the reason that they're doing stuff is not because they have everything in the world that they possibly could have because they have it. It's because they're not happy, because they're focused on things that actually don't really matter. And I can be happy even though I don't have anything, really. I mean, I have a lot. The Lord's blessed me with a lot of things. But in comparison, I don't have near as much because my mind not as often as I would like it to be, but my mind is focused on things that actually matter. And I'm not going to be caught up. Like Job, I'm going, I, sh- I ought to have the mind of when things get taken away from me, I can still praise God. Like Paul, when I get thrown into prison, I can still praise God. When you look at the way that the disciples at the end of their lives, if you study the disciples, I was listening to a sermon um, recently that, that was talking about the way the disciples died. Um, and and it was, it, it's gruesome, the way they died. And, and the things that they said while they were facing death was, Lord, accept me. I'm so glad that I can die for your, your, your glory. They had nothing, but they had everything. And I pray that we would have that same mindset. That in our life, we would not be governed so much by our temporal things that we would lose focus on God, but that we would be focused on the temporal things to a point that we would be able to use them for the glory of God. When we look at the life of Christ, every single thing he did was for God's glory. Every single thing he did. So every single day that I wake up, our desire ought to be today I'm going to live in a way that glorifies God and that points other people towards God. I'm going to live in a way that uses the things that God has blessed me to his glory and his honor and point other people towards him. And if we're doing that, we're going to live in a constant state of joy. If you want true joy, it's not through the temporal things. It's through the eternal things. It's by having our mind focused on things that actually matter instead of things that are just transient or going to disappear in 100 years. <laughs> because when I die, I'm not going to have anything. Just in closing, really, really quick, I heard it was, it was really interesting. Um, I forget what the man's name was, um, uh, but he was, he was alive in the early 1900s. Um, he was, I, th- I think he worked in like oil or something, and he was the seventh richest man in the world at the time. And he was a grump. He was a grouch, and everybody knew he was a grump, right? And he, uh, 
when he died, he had in his will that none of his relatives, this, and this is, this is bad, none of his relatives would get any of the finances he had until 25 years after his youngest grandson's death. So he died early 1900s, like 1906, 1907, something like that. It wasn't for 96 years later until his, his relatives that he never met <laughs> and who had no idea who he was got a check for like $100 million. And there's like 12 or 13 were these relatives. He worked all his life for all this money and he was a grumpy, grumpy old man. And he died and he had nothing to show for it. Let that not be said of us, right? And it's easy to say, but how hard is it to wake up every single morning and say, today I'm going to be focused on eternity. Today I'm going to let my actions define me and not my possessions, not my lifestyle, not my friends, not my influence in the community. My relationship with Christ is going to influence me. It's going to, it's going to define my life. It's going to motivate me. That's the passage in a, in a shell, Right? That, that's the goal that we ought to have as Christians is I want to be more like Christ and I want to show others to Christ each and every day. All right, let's pray. Lord, just thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to come into your house uh, today. I thank you so much for your opportunity to look into your word and, and see the wisdom that you have. I pray for your spirit to guide us and to direct us each and every day as we try to live out the many, many truths in your word as, as we're bombarded by, by temptations and we're bombarded by uh, just things that really don't matter on a daily life, but uh, our flesh is, so, is so, so strong, the world is so strong, Satan is so strong, and, and so often we choose to do things that are not honoring to you, and I pray that tomorrow tonight and every single day that we would make a conscious decision to put you first and foremost in our life, that we would be focused on eternity and that our focus on eternity would allow us to not get distracted by the things here and now, but that we would honor and glorify you with our actions. In your name, amen.